When you or someone you care for has a complex or severe mental health issue, the specialist you really need to see is a psychiatrist, if only for an opinion, so that they can advise your GP and psychologist, if you have one, on the best way forward. The trouble is that general practitioners are increasingly complaining that they're having lots of problems finding a psychiatrist who will accept their patients. It has so concerned Perth General Practitioner Andrew Leach that he recently wrote an open letter on the issue. I spoke to Andrew and as well to Caroline Johnson, a GP with a strong interest in mental health and who's in the Department of General Practice and Primary Care at the University of Melbourne. Thanks very much, Norman. So, Andrew, you were riled enough to write a letter on this. What's the problem? Well, it's been a, a build-up over a period of time, Norman, of increased presentations to general practice of patients with mental health distress and increase in complexity within those presentations. We as GPs generally are well equipped to manage and see and support those patients, but there are going to be times where we need to get help and often that help comes from psychiatrists. My problem is really around that referral pathway and the system at play as I started to experience more and more rejections of those referrals to psychiatrists. Give me the range of excuses you get from psychiatrists when you try to refer. There would be anything from this patient cannot be seen at this clinic, just a straight out no, and please contact the patient to let them know, through to this psychiatrist does not specialise in this area, and that particularly would be things that are more specific like ADHD, autism or eating disorders, just to name a few of those conditions. Through to this psychiatrist does not manage patients in that age bracket and that's quite common around that adolescent age time, so 15, 16, 17, I found a really big shift in trying to get that age group in to see someone. Then the other one was the risk, which is this patient's too high risk. They have a history of suicidal ideation or suicide attempt or self-harming, and they are too high risk to be seen at this clinic. So the child and adolescent one is, is not new. There's been a shortage of child and adolescent psychiatrists for a long time. Mm. Caroline, is this just a phenomenon of Perth? You know, Perth is a limited market. No, I think it's a pretty widespread problem and I certainly, as someone who's been involved for more than 20 years in trying to improve the pathways of care for people, it is very discouraging to hear Andrew's stories as a keen young GP. I work in Melbourne and particularly in a part of Melbourne where we allegedly have very good access to psychiatrists, but I do think even in my suburb it is getting harder to find people, um, especially for those more complex patients and I think it's a real sign of we've been very good at um, encouraging people to seek help. I think that's one of the successes of the better outcomes in mental health care initiative, but we haven't been so good at providing the care for those more complex patients when the GP needs a bit of extra help. So what's going on, Caroline? What's your analysis telling you? Well, I think there's a couple of things going on. One is that help seeking has gone up. And I personally think it is true that during the pandemic, a lot of this has become more evident. And again, coming from a city where the lockdowns did have a pretty big impact on people's mental health well-being. I mean, we saved a lot of lives, but you know, we're now sort of seeing some of the other side of that. So people becoming more anxious, eating disorders certainly becoming more common. And then I suspect, and again, I defer to my psychiatrist colleagues to comment, but I do think that they're struggling in the same way as general practices with sort of workforce shortage low morale, a lot of pressure. 
with people asking for very specific things. I mean, my personal view is that people asking for more help with ADHD is part of a system saying, well, you know, I did the right thing. I came to the doctor to get diagnosed and they treated me for anxiety and I had my 10 sessions with a psychologist, but I'm not any better. Maybe you've got the diagnosis wrong or maybe you're missing something. And for a number of those patients, it's it's quite legitimate to ask the question, are you missing something else and do I need treatment for something more tricky? And that's where, of course, for the GP, even though we're pleased that patients are coming forward, if they're not getting better with those standard treatments for the common high prevalence conditions, then we do need extra help from people who are more expert. Andrew, there's always a distribution issue. I mean, people say that there's a shortage of psychiatrists, but there's probably, you know, if you take Perth, for example, in the western suburbs of Perth, there's probably a psychiatrist in every street corner, uh, whereas if you go out into the hills, there's not. And certainly if you go out into regional and rural Western Australia, there's not. And that's probably true in other parts of Australia as well. I mean, are you finding this in downtown Perth as well, not just in the outer suburbs? Oh, yeah, I think it's across the board, Norman. And I'm in an urban setting of Perth and I work right next door to a, a major hospital. So that, you know, I, I would say that if this is happening here in middle of Perth, I would say that's far worse up in more rural and remote areas of WA. And I can't imagine what they are going through to try and get help from a psychiatrist. Caroline, anecdotally, people are saying, well, you've got these psychiatrists who are abandoning just general psychiatry for online consultations with ADHD where they're charging $900 a consultation. We've had Angela Vapier reporting on this for a while. Sometimes it's even higher than that. So they're making a lot of money, not to minimise the impact of ADHD on individuals, but they're making a lot of money out of a very narrow part of psychiatric care. I mean, are psychiatrists abandoning general psychiatry for high-income areas? I don't have enough data to comment specifically, but I think that's a good question to ask the College of Psychiatrists. I mean, I think that generalism in general is is struggling. It's the same problem we have in general practice, that you can actually have a less stressful and more financially rewarding career narrowing down your field of practice. And that's actually not what the community needs. We actually need people who are generalist in their skill set, both in primary care, but also in psychiatry. And I do suspect that if more and more people are asking for a psychiatrist to do a narrow and narrow thing and prepared to pay for it, it may change the practice for some psychiatrists. But of course, that's at great cost to other members of the community who have other psychiatric healthcare needs. So Carolyn, is part of the problem here Medicare and how it's billed? If, if a GP wants to consult you know, a phone call with another specialist, a non-GP specialist about a patient, the billing for that is actually fraught. Um, and if you do a joint consultation with a patient, only one of the doctors can actually bill. Are we too restricted in Medicare so that you're not getting a fluidity where all you might need is five minutes of a psychiatrist's time to advise the GP? Yeah, well, you've touched on what's a, a much more broader problem than just our interactions with psychiatrists. Absolutely. If we could call specialists without it being a financial impost on our business and their business, we could save an awful lot of money to the healthcare system because sometimes a quick question and a quick answer is much more cost efficient. But, you know, for the GP and for the other health professional, it still takes time. So, you know, I do, as an academic GP, I do my sessions in three and a half hour blocks. And I can say that my three and a half hour sessions in general practice normally take me about five hours. 
hours, sometimes longer, and that extra hour and a half, a little bit of it is spending a bit more time with patients who need it, but a big chunk of it is doing exactly what you described, ringing up people, chasing up test results, asking for advice. And you don't get paid for it. You don't get paid for that at all. I mean, you know, you could argue that if you got paid well enough for the three and a half hours when you were actually having clinical contact, it wouldn't matter. But of course, that's been squeezed as well when you look at the cost of running a practice and all the other bits and bobs that go along with it. And I'm sure that our colleagues in psychiatry are experiencing exactly the same problem. So yes, fee-for-service isn't answering that problem of how to work more collaboratively. And given that we're calling for multidisciplinary team-based care, we're going to have to think of some innovative ways of funding it because fee-for-service probably won't cut it. And just finally, Andrew, what do you do then? So you've got somebody who's come in, they're in psychological distress, they've got anxiety, depression, may even be even more severe than that, major depression, and you can't get hold of a psychiatrist. What do you do? Well, a lot of this comes back to us as GPs being good at, you know, working with that patient, holding them, seeing them more regularly, supporting them through that difficult time. If we can't get access to specialist care, we have to do some of that care ourselves and, and manage them to the best of our ability. But which, you're absolutely right. Which is right. fine, we, but 30% of your patients with major depression are not going to respond to standard therapy. Yes, that's right. And look, that's something that we just have to keep writing with them and working with them on that. It's not always easy. Um, and there's not always an answer. There's not always a treatment that will work. We just have to keep supporting them. And quite often patients just appreciate that. But absolutely right. I think if we can contact a psychiatrist and be able to utilize the Medicare system for that time, it would make a huge difference to how we manage patients, in a, you know, have a quick response and a quick treatment plan than before, while they're waiting to see someone. And Caroline, just finally, I mean, we haven't mentioned clinical psychologists here, Rose a mainstay of the mental health system but their problem is that they're working in isolation and not necessarily geared for the complexity of the cases that need it they need to be part of a team too that's absolutely right as well i mean i certainly believe since better outcomes i've been much better able to access good quality care for most of my patients with depression and anxiety and the clinical psychs are one of my main go-to people for that but where I get stuck is the more complex patients. And as Andrew said, absolutely, they're the ones that I struggle with because they've already had all their allocated sessions with a psychologist. So either the psychologist and or the GP are holding them. So part of that comes down to we probably do need better treatments for those more complex mental health conditions and we need the, to be able to work as a team more effectively. Thank you very much to you both. Thanks, Thanks Norman. Norman. Dr Caroline Johnson is in the Department of General Practice and Primary Care at the University of Melbourne. And Dr Andrew Leach is Director of the Garden Family Medical Clinic in Murdoch in Perth. Now, after talking about this, Tegan, on RN Breakfast, I got this text from a Sydney-based GP agreeing with the proposition. And she says, mental health teams and psychiatrists are in general really bad at communicating to GPs. They don't tell you what they're doing while they have the patient and then send you a discharge summary when they're done with them. Secondly, there are not many funded psychiatric positions in the public system. And thirdly, community mental health teams do not have adequate capacity. Even the acute care teams will tell you that half the time their referrals for care coordination get knocked back. Well, we've asked for a response from the College of Psychiatrists and hopefully we'll bring you that next week here on The Health Report. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.